Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> To the left side, he'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hey, hope you had a great day. Reed Wilkins coming to you from the palatial 6.30 Chad Broadcasting Compound. We have a hockey game on this channel tomorrow. It's going to be an interesting one. The Oilers rookies going up against a team of players from Nate and McEwen. Joe Gambardella will be the captain of the Oilers team. He was pretty strong in Penticton with four points. He's going to join us in a few minutes. The Cleveland Indians trying to run their winning streak to 20 games. In Major League Baseball, they have a one nothing lead on the Tigers. That one is in the bottom of the third. We'll talk a little bit about the Edmonton Eskimos. Man, great game on Saturday. Couldn't pull it out in the end, though. Brandon Zilstra, huge outing for him. Again, kind of making a habit of those. Ten catches, 187 yards. He's one of the performers of the week in the Canadian Football League. He's going to be on the show as well. Butch Carter used to coach the Toronto Raptors. He's coming to town this weekend for Basketball Alberta's Super Weekend. What's interesting about Butch, and how many people can say this? He also founded a league. He founded the Canadian Basketball League, and we talked to him about it a couple of years ago. It did get off the ground. They did have a season last year. Now he's looking west, and I think looking to Edmonton for future franchises, so he'll give us the update on that. Okay, really appreciate that you're tuning in tonight. It is 6.07. You can text 6.30-6.30. You can call 780-496-0063. Inside sports at 630ched.com is the email. We actually got a great guest suggestion on uh, email the other night and we're going to have uh, I won't give it away, but the uh, the guests from that suggestion on the show on Friday, so that'll be fun. Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. We'll start here with some Oilers talk and a pretty gutsy effort by the Oilers rookies. I, I think really overall on the weekend, they came from behind to beat Calgary. They came from behind and then blew a lead against Vancouver, but then wound up winning in overtime yesterday afternoon. They again had a goal in regulation today. Looking right hand side. He's got Maximoff in over the line. Doesn't like the read. He'll come back to center. Wait for Poli maybe to change here. He does. Maximoff into the offensive zone. Rich shot score! And Edmonton wins the game! Wins the tournament! 5-4 in overtime! Yeah, Kirill Maximoff, quite a play. You've probably seen it by now. It's uh, on the Ched website. I, I had video of the goal that I put on the Ched Twitter account and he skates he's in the offensive zone he skates all the way back to his own blue line all by himself mounts the attack 
goes in, decides not to pass it to anybody, cuts across the middle, makes the shot, scores the goal. Joe Gambardella, Oilers captain for the Prospects team, had a couple of goals in that game, and I was able to sit down with Joe after their practice this morning. In 3-on-3 overtime, when you see a teammate have the puck in a scoring area, skate all the way back to his own blue line, and then attack and still score like Maximoff did. What's going through your mind? Uh, just brilliancy, honestly. You know, it takes uh, a lot of will and hard work uh, to backtrack and still maintain that same hunger and aggression to go back on the attack. And to do what he did was uh, was pretty impressive. And uh, you know, he saved uh, perfection for us. You got on the score sheet, uh, you know, a few times in Penticton. How did you feel overall about your play? I I felt uh, very privileged to play with a lot of uh, special and group of guys out there you know uh, the guys on your line always make the game a lot easier I felt that we came together really quickly as a team and it makes it that much easier when you go out on that ice so I was really uh, happy with the performance overall what did it mean to you to wear the uh, C for the tournament uh, I was uh, the most probably the most amazing feeling in the world uh, it's kind of crazy I was the last thing I was expecting and didn't even cross my mind at all and to be able to wear it for those uh, those three games and throughout the weekend up in Penticton was the most amazing feeling in my life and uh, something I'll never forget. All right, well, you get to spend some time here in Edmonton. You're from Staten Island, New York. I, I, is the forgotten borough sometimes out of the five? Uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely not the most uh, recognized borough, but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a place that I, I liked growing up and it uh, made me into the person I am today, along with my family, uh, who shaped me into who I am. And uh, it's definitely a place I like to call home. What was the hockey community like for you getting going as, as a younger guy and, you know, the, the whole minor hockey system and the competition? Uh, I didn't know anything about A, AA, AAA growing up. There was only two ice rinks on Staten Island, one in Clove Lake, one at the Pavilion, and then when I was about 11 or 12, the one in Clove Lake shut down. It was just the Pavilion left, and uh, that's where I stood. And uh, I, didn't leave the, I didn't leave Staten Island until I was about 16, then I finally went to New Jersey. But uh, the hockey community was great, great growing up. You know, my best friends I met there at the age of seven or eight, and uh, those are still my same best friends as of today, so I got to be proud and happy for that. Who got, who got you into hockey? Uh, my older brother. My, my father played every sport except hockey, and he let my brother try baseball, soccer, and it was only a matter of time my dad said, all right, I got to get out of the heat and get into the cold. So he let my brother try skates on, and my brother loved it. And my older brother and my father taught me, and then we passed it on to my younger brother, and at one point all three of us were playing. All right, so you're growing up in Staten Island. I mean, an incredibly densely populated area. New York has several pro sports teams to choose from, and NCAA teams, I suppose. Who, who were some of your favorite teams and athletes as a kid? Did you pick a New York team? or? Yeah, I, um, growing up I was a big New York Rangers fan. My dad always was getting us tickets to games. It was a nice uh, family outing that we got to go to. So definitely was a Rangers fan growing up. I didn't hear much about college hockey at all, honestly. The only big name that ever stood out was Boston College, and that was the only team I ever knew growing up. And then one of my buddies around the block, his brother got to play for RPI, and I got to go see a game, and that's where I was like, wow, you know, like I would love to play college hockey one day. And that was kind of my dream, my goal, and everything after that was just kind of going to be like uh, just another opportunity, and I couldn't be blessed to have what I have in front of me now. So when it comes to the other sports, I mean, do you have to pick Yankees or Mets, Jets or Giants, or were you not as interested in the other sports? Uh, yeah, no, you kind of have to. I mean, 
football, definitely Giants. Baseball, I didn't want, never watched too much baseball growing up. I could go to a game and watch it, but watching on TV is kind of tough. But if I had to pick a team of Yankees and Mets, I'd pick the Yankees. Well, imagine that. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think my dad's the Met, the Met person in the family, but we're not, we're not big baseball people. Like, we'll, we'll go to a, a game once in a blue moon. But uh, for football, never been to a professional game, but it's still, uh, still root on for the Giants. When you, when you went to UMass uh, Loyal, tell me about that decision. I mean, did you have other, a lot of other options to, to play in different schools, or why was that the pick? Uh, UMass Lowell was the first team that was ever interested in me. They, they watched me from the early on when I started playing juniors, and from there I did my research on them, and I knew that that's where I wanted to be. Uh, I had a few other schools that were interested in me, but nowhere near as the interest that I had in UMass Lowell and the coaching staff there was unbelievable, amazing. They really focused in on the, the players' development, not just on the ice, but off the ice as well when it came to video and breaking stuff down and in the weight room. They had the best uh, sports performance going in, the whole, in all, of college, all, of, all of college hockey and, you know, it, it really shows you how much the little things and you really buy into the process, how much it really helps you. And I couldn't be prouder to be a UMass Lowell alum now. Is that a big thing for you going to school, the commitment also the off-ice commitment and the balancing of various schedules, I assume? Yeah, absolutely. Growing up, like as I mentioned, I once I saw my buddy's brother play college hockey, that's where I really wanted to be, and uh, I was very privileged to play college hockey, and I knew that that was what I wanted to do and to get my degree, to have something to fall back on, God forbid. You know, I would love to play this sport forever if God God allows me to, but if not, you got to have something to fall back on, and I was very happy that I was able to accomplish that and get my degrees and walk out with a degree from UMass Lowell. We're getting to see you a little bit here, but tell Oilers fans, when you're on your game, what does Joe Gambardella bring and do well? Uh, I try to be the hardest worker out there, try to outcompete everybody out on that ice, uh, get to pucks first, uh, try to make plays, you know, just do the little things right and pay attention to detail, but uh, just try to be a playmaker and the hardest worker out there. All right, well, have you been to Edmonton before? Uh, just development camp, just and uh, yeah, and we spent most of the time up in Jasper, and it was really a nice scenery up there. So you're getting to know the city a little bit? Yeah, definitely a little bit. Uh, today we got the rest of the day, so I'll probably take a little walk around downtown with some of the guys and get to know it a little bit better. Well, he was a pleasure to talk to. Joe Gambardella, captain of the Oilers rookie team. He turns 24 in December, and I think you could hear it in the interview and, and in the way he uh, kind of carries himself when he talks. Uh, a little bit of an older guy. He's had some experience, uh, has been played four years in the uh, NCAA with UMass Lowell, had very good seasons there, including 52 points in 41 games last year, got into six games with Bakersfield, the Oilers' AHL team, and had three points at the end of last year. So one of those guys, smart player, competitive player, uh, maybe a guy who could be a bit of a jack-of-all-trades if he does wind up making the NHL roster. And uh, it was a pleasure to pleasure to talk to him. You could, I, I said after the interview, I said, you got a, you got a bit of that accent from Staten Island. And he goes, yeah, but I, I, I've been away from Staten Island for a few years, so I think I've lost it a little bit. He was a pleasure to talk to. You'll see him on the ice 7 o'clock tomorrow at Rogers Place. You can get tickets at the door, or you can listen to the game right here on 6.30 Chet. Okay, we're going to go down the highway when we get back because there's a, a kerfuffle in Calgary. And guess what? It's about a new arena. Hmm, where has that happened before? CEO Ken King, Gary Bettman talking as well. We'll have the latest Inside Sports on Chet. 
Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, so we got the Oilers rookies taking on the ACAC guys tomorrow. We got Oilers, uh, the medicals and the physicals on Thursday. They're on the ice for training camp. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, preseason split squad against Calgary. We'll have the game in Edmonton at Rogers Place against the Flames, 5.30 for the face-off show. The puck will drop at 7. We have the Eskimos in Toronto on Saturday afternoon, 12.30 for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 2. So uh, we always have a lot of sports here on the station, but we're going to be going through a couple-month stretch here with the season overlap, and we're going to have tons of games for you to listen to, so that'll definitely be fun. It's 6.20. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. The Cleveland Indians want to keep an eye on this game, going for their 20th straight win. The all-time Major League Baseball record is 26, and uh, Cleveland up one nothing on Detroit. That game in the top of the fourth, and uh, the Indians got one of their greats, Corey Kluber, on the mound. He has struck out four and allowed only one hit uh, so far through three innings of work. So they're looking good. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. I just want to quickly update the situation in Calgary. I got some audio, uh, and basically, here's the thing. So you've been we've been talking about this for a while. They they want to build a new arena like Edmonton did, and there's been a few proposals, and it's kind of been stalling, and Ken King is the president and CEO of the Flames. We had an owner's meeting today, and we have determined uh, and needed to advise Gary that that we're no longer going to be pursuing a new facility. Um, uh, uh, The owner's group are pretty pretty clear and pretty definite in their view on that, and... uh, and I think it's important to Calgarians. Now, I also think it's just as important uh, to the group of people we're going to talk to out here and the group of people we're going to talk to uh, for this whole season that people understand that our focus is on playing hockey here and winning championships and, and running our teams. Uh, the building is very important. We've been working on it for a long time. Uh, in August of 2015, I think most of you were probably there when we helped share a vision that we had. and. Uh, and we were asked uh, latterly in uh, the last year or so if we'd look at a, a Victoria Park vision. And uh, we've been meeting directly for months. And they've been uh, spectacularly unproductive meetings. And uh, it's unfortunate because I thought, uh, I thought we really had something that would work. And, and it would seem pretty clear that it's not. So it doesn't look like we're going to get there. And, uh, and I think it's time that we stopped uh, pretending and uh, we're a little more direct and a little more honest with our fans and with our city about that fact. All right, so that's Ken King, the president and CEO of the Calgary Flames. Quite a quote, spectacularly unproductive meetings. It's a word I'm going to try to use more in my everyday life, spectacularly, to describe, I guess, one extreme or the other. So here we go again. I know it's a bit of an eye roll for a lot of you. It's paralleling inside. Well, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same down to the letter as what happened in Edmonton, but there are certainly parallels. We reached a point here in Edmonton where the two sides stopped talking, and it was actually Edmonton City Council that broke it off. If you remember that, they said, you know, we just don't want to negotiate with the Cates group. We feel they're asking for too much. Eventually, they got back to the table. They they came into an agreement, and, and here we go. We're now going into, the, into season number two at, at Rogers Place. Um, do I think the Calgary Flames would are, are going to leave Calgary? I don't. But whether you like it or not, there are some realities to the sports 
industry. And this has nothing to do with what happens on the ice and the game we talk about for four quarters or three periods and overtime. This is this is the whole business side of sports. It's uh, it's ugly. It's frustrating. It doesn't. And look, and of course, you know, Ken King says, well, we're not threatening to move the team. We're not moving the team. We're, we're playing in the building for as long as we can. And then he just avoids saying anything else about what could happen after that. Um, but you know what? I do. I will say this. I think it's possible. Like if this totally doesn't go any go anywhere, and they don't get the building they want down the road, do I think it's possible that the Flames could leave? Sure. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But but I mean I, I I you know it's a little bit of a staring contest here, and I, I think what happens is the owner of the the current owners of the Calgary Flames would never move the Flames. I, I think, this is just my opinion, they would sell the Flames to the highest bidder, and if that owner happened to live in, uh, you know, Jacksonville, Florida, and had an arena to put the team in, they'd be the Jacksonville Flames. That's not, that's not a good example, because they wouldn't, but you know what I mean. And, and they, you know, who knows, because I asked Cal Nichols, you know, what if the Oilers moved without, uh, without a, a new arena? And he kind of said, this was an interview a couple of years ago, and he said, oh, I think, you know, something could have been figured out or, you know, there's a lot of smart and creative people who would have been involved and, and made something work. So we'll see. I mean, look, if you've been following sports for more than 10 years, this happens all the time, unfortunately. It's, it's a bit of a repetitive story. Don wants to talk about this. Hi, Don. Hey, Reed, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I thought that guy was very well-spoken. Sorry, you thought Don King, or, or uh, not Don King, Ken King was very well-spoken? Yeah, for sure. You know, with the words he was using and very definite and everything else. I think it's a good uh, good ploy on Calgary's part. They're, you know what, they're either trying to embarrass the city <clears throat> into getting a little bit more serious, or I don't know. Well, you know, But I think, I think it's a smart move. You know what, Don, I, I think... I think they might. They, Calgary has an election coming up too, right? All the civic elections are usually at the same time. Sure. Yes. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, they're trying to influence the election, right? Yep. If yep. Nenshi doesn't want to do it, is there a mayoral candidate that that could get support by saying he's down to talk about the arena and be a little more flexible? And like I said, maybe that's not pretty. Maybe some people aren't going to approve of it. But whether you like it or not, this is a civic issue that captivates a lot of people. Even if there's other things to talk about, like bridges and garbage disposal and dog parks, this captivates a lot of people, whether you like it or not. Oh, for sure, Reed. I hear you. Um, uh, geez, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, good uh, good call. Good. Uh, I, I enjoyed hearing that uh, message. And, and you know what? It's just par. This is par for the course of the Flames getting their new arena. And I'm a ABC you know anything but Calgary, but uh, I'm gaining more and more respect for the club, and and uh, you know I think they deserve a new arena. I don't know whether it's going to happen though. We'll see. But I think this is far. Don, we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much for calling. That's Don at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have uh, some Gary Bettman comments. We'll get to those as well. And in the next half hour, one of your Eskimos having a great season. Brandon Zilstra.
this is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Motion starts, Riley drops. Takes a hit as he throws. It's complete to Duke Williams at the 12. He tries to head to the corner. Touchdown, Eskimos! Duke Williams to the end zone, and the Eskimos will take the lead. 33 yards, Riley to Williams. There's the snap. Mitchell, he throws, and it's a completion for a touchdown to Markway McDaniel. 24-22, convert pending, 35 seconds to go. And that is it. Game over. And the Stampeders win it to 25-22 as Milo misses wide to the right. The thrill and the spill from Saturday night. Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. Eskimos unable to pull it out against the Calgary Stampeders. Late touchdowns both ways. And then a field goal missed by the green and gold. They're 7-4 and in the season, but no doubt one of the bright spots this year, Brandon Zilstra, who continues to be about as close to unstoppable as a receiver can be against Calgary, that very good secondary, 10 receptions for 187 yards. He's one of the players of the week in the CFL, and he joins us now. Brandon, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm not too bad today. How are you, Reed? I'm doing very well. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, look, I, I know you wanted the win on uh, Saturday against Calgary, but you do get uh, a named a performer of the week. You had a career high in yardage, and you also had 10 catches. You've had a lot of big games in your short CFL career. But, you know, in terms of Saturday night against a very good secondary, what allowed you to rack up those yards, Brandon? Um, you know, I was just fortunate to, you know, be in the receiving end of a couple of those big plays. You know, I got, I think, 100 of those yards in, in a matter of two plays, you know, one being at the end. So, um, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishment for sure, but it just, like you kind of said, it just doesn't feel quite as good without the W. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that and where the team is at. There was a big story for you guys going into last week's game, and and he got a touchdown and came up with several big catches, and that was Darrell Walker coming back into the lineup. What was the impact of him being back on the field with you guys? Well, you know, Darrell's a playmaker, and for him to come back with us, like we kept saying all week, we were kind of laughing about it. You know, we just got the band back together. It's just, you know, stemming off of what we did last year. And as you could tell, there was no hesitation with him coming back in. You know, he made an immediate impact, so that was huge. And, you know, kind of sparked us, got us, you know, enthused a little bit. And, uh, you know, things were working out. Was there a change in the way Calgary covered you guys with Walker back in the lineup? Um, not too much that I noticed. Um, you know, we just did, we did our, uh, our job of studying film. And kind of saw some stuff that worked for us in the previous game, and you just kind of added on to that. And I think we just kind of exploited their weaknesses a little bit more than the first meeting. Okay. Well, and clearly, you know, the, the game, I mean, you guys didn't have a good day on Labor Day, obviously. Closer game on Saturday night. I, I know you're looking ahead to Toronto, but just quickly to look back to that game. Um, I mean, a disappointing result in the end. Back and forth, you guys stepped up with a lot of big plays. A couple mistakes maybe hurt you. Um, I mean, maybe just sort of take me through that game and the ups and downs in it and, and uh, you know, staying with it and unfortunately losing on the last play. Yeah, I was, I was when we were sitting on the sideline, you know, we our, our team is all positive, all smiles, like almost all the time. Um, we were sitting on the bench and we are just saying, like, this is, you know, this is a super fun game. Like, we're really enjoying ourselves. I think we were saying that, I think, just after halftime or something like that because 
it was a back and forth game the entire game. Um, but you know, just some discipline disciplinary actions that we did on our part um, kind of hurt us. You know, we uh, we were a lot better with the turnovers this week, which helped. But um, you know, so unfortunately, we just didn't come out with the W. Just a few too many mistakes here and there. But I definitely feel like we built off of what we did on Labor Day. Um, I feel like we're starting to get back in our groove, and I'm really looking forward to what we're what we're about to do against Toronto now. You know, kickers have it tough, Brandon, because they're often either the hero or the goat. It was a tough one for Chris on that on that final play. Uh, I mean, that's you got you got to feel for your teammate in that situation. There was a lot that went on in that game. Unfortunately, sometimes people only remember a few plays or or uh, or the last play. Did you just feel like you needed to you know get him a little closer or or not put him in that situation, or, or how do you look at that last kick? That's exactly it. He shouldn't ever be in that situation. That's what I went up uh, after the game. Up, I went up and talked to him. I just said, like, I was like, don't hang your head at all. You know, I was just like, you should have never been in that position anyway. You know, let's, let's just flush it and move on. We got a big game next week. We just kind of left it at that and haven't talked about it since. Right on, Brandon Zilstra, receiver for your Edmonton Eskimos, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. All right, I got to ask you a couple other things here. You know, you and I have talked before and a little bit about your history, but I got to interview Terry Horan a few weeks ago, your coach at Concordia College. Uh, give us give us some yeah. memories of playing for Terry and of, of playing for Concordia College. He said, hey, "Look, I, I got to talk to him for 15 minutes, but he sounded like a very uh, upbeat, uh, intelligent guy that would probably." be fun to play for that's just my guess tell me what your experience was with terry that's just it too um the word i was going to use is enthused enthusiasm enthused um you know he's he's always chipper he's always ready to go he's you know has all the energy in the world uh he knows how to get his players going he's a he's a players coach um he's a great coach i loved loved working with him for the three years i was there Okay, so I asked him what a cobber was, because cobbers is the name of the team, and, and I and I think a giant ear yep. of corn is the team mascot. I, I got to be honest with you, Brandon. That's not the most yep. intimidating thing in the world. So how do you, as an athlete, how do you turn that into? How, <laughs> you're just like, yeah. How, how do you turn that into motivation and fear? <laughs> well, I, I think he uh, he told you our slogan was "Fear the Ear," because um, it must have been after your interview. I started hearing it around the locker room. I was just like, wait, how do people know? Because, you know, when people ask where I'm from, I always tell them, you know, Concordia College, but I never mention the mascot. Just because, like you said, it's not intimidating. So I just kind of just leave that part out of it. But, uh, yeah, people kind of got wind of that. And I started going around the locker room, and now the entire offense has a Fear of the Year Cobber, Concordia Cobber t-shirt. So, Oh, you got t-shirts in for everybody. <laughs> we did. Thanks to you and your interview. Okay, well that's incredible. All right, uh, well I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I could help. But fear of the year, you're doing as much with it as, as you can. Uh, more serious note, when I talked to Terry, because you know I wanted to get to know his relationship with you and his impression of you when he was coaching you, and he complimented your work ethic and your you know your drive to improve and 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 learn and and find ways to be valuable in the offense, which you've clearly done in Edmonton as well. Where does that come from for you and sort of that uh and also that like if you want to call that football intelligence did you always did you always have that was there maybe a someone when you were younger that helped you with that where, where does sort of that drive and passion to learn come from um well growing up i was just extremely competitive and everything i did and you know you kind of hear that from every athlete but 
Um, I was just extremely competitive, hated losing, you know, still hate losing to this day. I still don't deal with it, you know, in a professional manner like I should, I think. But um, yeah, it was just, you know, the desire to win at all times, always be the best on the field. Um, and then as I grew up, I decided that, you know, I really like football. And I, I grew up watching, me being from Minnesota, I grew up watching Randy Moss and Chris Carter. And I just idolized those guys. And, you know, still to this day, I still watch, you know, their highlights and like different ways they run routes and stuff all the time. But, um, you know, I just I just want to be the best. Um, and I, I'm not going to let anybody stop me or tell me no. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of people doubt me um, growing up just because I did come from a super small high school. I went to a super small college and, you know, everybody just kind of overlooked me growing up. And I'm not going to say that added as motivation because I already had enough motivation within me. But I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to prove these guys wrong too, I guess. They're all just part of it. Oh, um, excellent. So it's just kind of that. I was just, it's, I, I've always just proven, proven to myself that, you know, I, I can do all these things, that I, I, you know, belong in this league, just kind of stuff like that. Well, that's an awesome message for sure. All right, one more for you, Brandon. And I got to ask you about the season as a whole. Seven and four is a pretty good record. I think how you guys got there is obviously a little unusual. And I'm in the position where I get to talk to a lot of fans and people who care about the Eskimos who are like, well, 7-4 and four is good, but I'm a little worried about that L4 and the losing streak and which way it's headed. I'm going to let you talk directly to the people that cheer you on here. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the message to, to the one empire about uh, what's ahead here and where the team is at? My message to one one empire is just to be patient with us. You know, we we know what we're doing wrong. We're you know taking actions to fix it. Um, it's just a matter of us. You know, everybody buying in, um, doing their job. You don't, you don't even need to worry about anybody else. Just do your job, execute it, and you know we're gonna get it done. Um, I have all the confidence in the world in this team, and I know this entire team does. This is the greatest locker room I've ever been around. Like the most, you know, just most tight unit. Um, so my message to everybody is just to be patient with us. Like, we're, we're going to figure this thing out. I have no doubt in my mind. Well said. Brandon, thanks so much for your time and all the best against Toronto on the weekend. Yes, thanks, Reed. That is Brandon Zilstra. He has been awesome for the Edmonton Eskimos since he started playing last season. And uh, you heard him there sounding pretty confident, pretty sure that the Eskimos will get out of this four-game funk and start piling up some wins again. Look, they didn't play bad against Calgary. That was a good game. If you just watched that game individually, certainly a disappointing ending. But, you know, two good teams that fought right down to the end. Calgary made a couple more plays, probably a couple fewer mistakes. If you look at the Eskimos' penalties and some of the problems they have in the secondary uh, with their coverage. I can tell you this. It looks like safety Neil King's going to be back. Cornerback Johnny Adams is going to be back. And you might get Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Van back at running back. So a few guys who could possibly help when they go into Toronto on Saturday. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, Blue Jays leading the Orioles 1-0 after 6. Cleveland up 1-0 on Detroit in the 5th as the Indians go for their 20th consecutive victory. We'll have a little more on that Calgary Arena story. You'll hear what Commissioner Gary Bettman had to say. He was in Calgary today. We'll have a preview of the Oilers' rookie game against the Nate McEwen matchup. Sean Bell, a former Oiler, now the assistant coach of the Nadukes. He's going to be on the show as well. All ahead. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. 
So Gary Spoelman, the Eskimos back at practice today. They will play in Toronto on Saturday afternoon, 12.30 countdown to kickoff, 2 p.m. for the start of the game here on 6.30, Chad. Tomorrow night, I'll have a one-hour edition of Inside Sports from 6 to 7. We have tentatively booked in your quarterback, Mike Riley, to be on that show, so that'll be fun to have him. And then we have the play-by-play at 7, the Oilers rookies against the Nate McEwen. I'm going to call them the mashups. And we, the, Nate, the Nate McEwen mashups. That's what I'm going to call them. And if you heard Tim Fraggle, the uh, Nate head coach on Oilers now earlier today, they're going to each wear, the Nate guys will wear their dark uniforms and the Concordia guys will wear their dark uniforms and the Oilers will wear white. So you'll actually have three different jerseys out there, but the guys in the darker colors will be on the same team. So that'll be kind of interesting. We'll have the play-by-play 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Following that story in Calgary, I played a a clip there from Ken King, the president and CEO of the Flames, calling it spectacularly unproductive meetings in terms of arena negotiations, and basically the Flames are saying, well, we're just not going to talk about it. We don't think it's going to work, so we're not going to negotiate with the, the city anymore. Commissioner Gary Bettman in Calgary today as well. I guess the, the logical place to start is your reaction to the news here in Calgary today. Well, uh, I was asked to come out to attend the owner's meeting today, uh, and I guess the ostensible purpose was the owners uh, conveyed to me uh, their frustration and their realistic assessment that there's no basis upon which they can see making a deal for a new building. And they wanted me to know that, and they wanted to have a discussion with me about how I saw their options. Uh, And there are a myriad of options, and we don't have to go through them, and I'm not going to list what they are. Everybody can speculate and figure them out. But I think the, the overriding concern, and these are people who have been committed to Calgary. This has been and is a terrific ownership group. I don't think Calgary could have better owners than they have. This is an organization whose foundation has contributed tens of millions of dollars back to the community, uh, but they don't see there's any point any longer in pursuing a building. And their concern is that over time, over time, not to tomorrow, not today, uh, it will affect the ability of this franchise to be competitive. Uh, and But they're going to hang on as long as they can. At least that's the current view. Uh, that's not a prospect that thrills them or anybody else, uh, but it is a realistic assessment of the situation they find themselves in. Uh, this is a franchise, this is an arena that can't compete, for example, with Edmonton any longer because they don't have the resources, they don't have the building. I think there are 34 dates of concerts that the new Edmonton arena got that didn't come down here. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know what the long-term future holds, but I know that these are people who have been over the years and we went through difficult times 15, 20 years ago that have hung on, but I think that there's a resignation that there's no ability to get a new building uh, in this market, so they're going to stop trying. Given the, and, uh, given the fact that you've been involved in the process up until now, are you surprised by this? Well, but, you know, I'm, I've been a, a spectator on the process. I don't tell the ownership group what to do. I 
consult with them and tell them their options when I am asked. Uh, but as I've tracked the negotiations, which I've done rather intensely, particularly with uh, Ken and Murray Edwards, uh, and as you know, over the last couple of years, I've had a couple of meetings with the mayor. I'm not surprised at this result. I, I think it was inevitable because, as I said, you know, I think at a chamber speech a year and a half ago, that unless the city is prepared to embrace the notion that you need to have a joint civic-public partnership um, with with a franchise and its building, it doesn't work in a market like Calgary. This team needs a new arena. This city needs a new arena. Uh, but uh, there's no realistic prospect of it coming forward based on everything that has and has not transpired. I think what Ken was alluding to, I think the city was made aware last February as to what it would take to do an arena. It was their best shot at getting it done, and the city is nowhere close to embracing that, and so there was no point in continuing. And it'll play out the way it plays out in the short term. Nobody should doubt the Flames or their ownership's commitment to this community, but at some point, I, I envision without a new building, there will be consequences that everybody's going to have to deal with. How different is this from, I mean, you deal with a lot of these. How unique is the situation in Calgary, Gary, as opposed to maybe some of the other building and city issues you've had to deal with in your tenure? Um, I, I think one of the dynamics here that strikes me as different, particularly, say, from Edmonton, is I don't get a sense from the city that there's a commitment to or a belief in the importance of having the right infrastructure and having a major league sports team. Reasonable people can differ on the importance and what it's worth, but I don't see the same level of city commitment here that I've seen in other places. So, Commissioner, when, when, the, when the mayor and... and Politically, uh, not from the... Fans. No, no, I meant... No, I would, city, I meant... No, fans here are great. And, you know, I share Ken's uh, consternation over this is a distraction and the Flames are poised to have a great season and we'd wish everybody would focus on that. But I think there needs to be a candid assessment of where things are. And again, I got invited here today so that the owners could tell me where they are and ask me questions. I'm not here, you know, on a soapbox preaching. The, the city council and the mayor will decide whatever they want, and that's what they're empowered to do. So, mayor, when, excuse me, uh, Commissioner, when the mayor says and when others on City Hall say that it's not that they don't want an arena, they do want an arena, it's about, again, as we've heard, the best deal for uh, the, the you citizens. Know, the, do, you, do, you, do you believe that, but don't believe that they believe it to uh, far enough an extent? Uh, uh, based on what I know of the negotiations, which is fairly extensive, the ownership of the Flames has made a generous, realistic, fair assessment of what can be done and their commitment, which goes into the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, but if you don't think having a new arena or having a major league hockey team here is important, then you're not going to commit the resources on behalf of a city to make that happen. So can we indicate how much the Flames are looking uh, to get? You know what? That would entail negotiation. Negotiations are over. For over. now? No, they're not over. They're not pursuing a new building. They'll, they'll play out the string here for as long as they can. That's NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. We'll look deeper to those comments, and we'll also have Sean Bell on the show when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.